Hi, everybody. It's the A to Z podcast. I am the Z, Zach Jackson, at Akron Jackson. He is the A, Andre Knott, at Dre Knott. On most of your favorite social media platforms, A to Z podcast.com, Facebook.com slash A to Z podcast. Shouts, as always, to Scene, to the Honeymoon Grill, American Fireworks, always open at AmericanFireworks.com, and Cleveland Whiskey, which is uh, unveiling its Christmas-themed bourbon this Saturday, October 12th. Uh, details all over the internet uh, on that if you're interested. Uh, they're rolling out the red carpet and the fancy bourbon. Andre, how are you? I'm wonderful. I'm the A in the A to Z. That means I bring the action. I'm good. It's been a uh, quality week of uh, no baseball for me. Uh, a couple, couple week and a half now of no baseball. I guess i got to go back to work at some point in time. This will be a fun podcast because... Well, we usually go day-to-day or week-to-week on whatever is the latest is going on. But for me, this will be fun because we get to take a look back a little bit and uh, kind of look forward as to where we are when it comes to the Cleveland Browns um, and what it takes to be an author. I think that a lot of people that listen to our podcast uh, will be very curious as to how uh, this whole scenario will go along. Funny story, about a week and a half ago, a week or so ago, my mother-in-law has always been very strong. She works at a, a local library. Uh, here in uh, the Akron area, Akron-Canton area, kind of in between where Zach and I live. And the last three, four off-seasons, she would see me sit around during the off-season and, and not do a whole lot. And at first, she'd be all for it. And then about halfway through, she'd be like, hey, I need to get you to do something. And she would basically go to all the local libraries, and she would say, hey, do you need a speaker to come speak to people, or you need, like, a, an extra class? I was originally thinking she was doing this because she thought I was a lazy bum which I'm pretty sure she does think that I am. But she was also doing it because it made her look good with her bosses. So she found out that Zach Jackson, the guy that Andre does the podcast with, was coming out with a book, and she threw me to the wayside, Z. And she said, hey, do you think that Zach guy that you hang out with would want to come to the library and talk to people? Would maybe it'll pay. And I was like, damn. So I just went from, like, not only am I the, the son-in-law, but now I'm the son-in-law that has to go do her, 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 her legwork for it. So congrats me, and at some point in time, Green Library will be hosting the Zach Jackson party probably around or after the Super Bowl. Well, so uh, look lie, forward to that, boy. Except when he does, uh, I don't hang out with you. Let's just make that clear. <laughs> <laughs> Only 45 minutes a week, people. <laughs> um, and the proof is that I, I don't know when the hell the last time I saw you was, um, but you don't have a book yet, right? No, not yet. Not yeah. yet. Um Maybe I'll drop one off tonight. I don't know. Okay. Anyway, uh, we wanted to do this in the podcast, frankly, because when you have a book coming out, um, you got to do promotion for it. That's part of the business. And um, who better to promote it than me? You know, what's my favorite subject? Right. What's our favorite subject uh, on this podcast? Uh. Us, right? So um, Tuesday is the official release date. This is a project that goes back um, probably about 13 months. Uh, it's called 100 Things Browns Fans Should Know. It's a collection of a 100 stories of the Browns. It's focused uh, obviously on the new era of the Browns, although it does you know, dive back into some other stuff. Uh, I'm excited. Um, I'm a million different emotions as I have been over the, <laughs> uh, you know, the course of it, but we just wanted to take 30 or so minutes here on this podcast um, to link out to hopefully, um, you know, give you a little detail, get you excited and get you to buy it, uh, whether now or later for stocking stuffers, for, your kid's youth football team, for your crazy right. uncle, for your drunk uncle, for your drunk crazy uncle, whomever it, that may be that's a Browns fan. Um, I do believe 
uh, I confidently say that there are some stories there for everyone, for every level of Browns fan. Even the hardest of hardcore fan, I think, will find at least a few nuggets that have not been out there anywhere else. And um, like I said, Dre, I'm excited that finally this October 15th date that's been looming out there for a long time is now right around the corner. I hear you. Let me ask you this. Who is the person that impressed you the most or blew you away the most that you interviewed? Or maybe who did you learn the most from out of everybody you talked to or interviewed to put this book together? Well, I definitely did some interviews, right? Um, But, you know, this is (laughs) – I don't mean – I mean this in a literal sense. Like, this is my life's work, right? I started working for the Browns when I was 12 right. years old. So this is my adult life has been covering the Browns. Um, so 70% right. of it was written from the top of my head with um, the, either the media guide or pro football reference there to make sure that I knew what the, what the hell I was talking about, right? Um, right. I right. did. Right. I, I called Derek Anderson. I called Josh Cribbs. Um, you know, I talked to Kevin Mack. I talked to Tim Couch. I called um, – a lot of former co-workers. And here's the thing. It's a formatted book. Um, Triumph Books approached me. They do this for a lot of teams. Um, it, I thought it was a great way uh, to kind of do this. I had been interested in doing something. Uh, th- I thought this was a good format in the way to get it out because there's so much stuff. Um, it's not some deep tell-all, like dirty, dark secrets, things like that. There was one thing I right. took out because even though I know it's true um, – second sourcing in the Twitter world. I I just did the right thing journalistically. But I'll say this. Of the eight or ten former co-workers of mine, some of whom names you know, most of whom you don't, that I would call up and, and, you know, ask them to confirm a story to make sure I had the details right because if I didn't have it 100% right, it wasn't going in the book, right? All but one or two of those, it just ended in laughter about the clown show or about certain things. It wasn't like some biting detail that allowed me to, to write something that's, that was controversial or something like it. Right. It, the Browns for too long were the laughing stock of sports. You know, uh, the flip side of that is in my twenties, I got to learn the league and see the country and be a part of, of a professional sports organization. Um, launched me to do some really cool things in the meantime. And, you know, I, I kind of poured my heart and soul into this in um, sharing the stories, bringing the same old depressing stories to life and bringing some nuggets that I think are funny, unique, you know, both, all of the above, um, in that regard, in the final 270 pages or whatever it is. Um, as you talk about a story that you, and I think I, I, I don't even know why, I think I know the story you probably held back on out of respect, and that was very sweet of you. Um, and I'll talk to you about that at another time because I think I have an idea what be it is. I may be wrong. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and I may be wrong. Um, I, talk about this for me. Um, I think you mentioned something that I know I'm going through in my career currently as well, that for us as two young pups, and I'm sure we were treated differently by certain people in the Cleveland media because of this. Um, I think I know you were treated differently because you were Browns.com and at the time, and I'm just, I'm just setting the stage for people so they just get an idea. And I'm not crying wolf. I, I appreciate what I went through to get where I'm at. Um, but I do remember what I went through to get where I'm at. And I try not to do this to younger people. Um, now that you're getting into business, you try to help them and try to guide them. But when you look at how you do your job now and how you work for the athletic and how you put a story together now, and you look at how you were brought up. And like you said, you were 22 years old. You were a pup. Um, and obviously because you work for Clevelandbrowns.com, 
Um, you had a ton of information that was, I don't want to say handed to you, because I hate when people say that to us. Um, but you, you got the stories way different. How much do you look at how when you do your job now or when you write this book, do you appreciate kind of starting the business the way we did? Um, because we didn't start in the business, and we've told this story before, neither of us started in the business kind of the, the way that most writers or most reporters started. But now that we went through what we went through and how bad it was and how covering so many losses and so many controversies and so many, like I, I, I'm speaking for myself, Zach, there isn't many things that can happen over a 162-game baseball season that happens and I can't say, oh, yeah, I'm done with that. Or, you know, or, yeah, this prepared me for this. You know what I mean? Like, when there's a terrible injury and the team's like, we can't say how it happened or where this happened or this. And, like, and I chuckle and I'm like, dude, I was suppressing guys and kids, guys, kids getting sick from this. Like, you know, like, like the stories we suppressed in the early 2000s, how much does that help you now? And how much does that make you go back and think about some of the, the craziness that we saw, heard, and were around, but we never could even open our lips to? back in the early 2000s. Yeah, no, I absolutely think I've benefited as a writer, podcaster, observer of the game from seeing it from both sides, right? From knowing how teams operate, from knowing how teams handle information, right? right? And to then being on the outside where you have to make relationships in the team to use stuff, to confirm stuff, to know stuff, Mm -hmm. to where sometimes you get told something and you can't run with it. And that's the only way you're ever going to get told something that you can run with, right? Because that person has to be able to trust exactly. you. Um, you know, we used to do a radio, sh- an internet radio show. And this is before people had high-speed internet, and it's certainly before people listened on their right. phones and all that with Butch Davis. And it would be live. And, like, 14 people would be listening live, and eight of them were from Manchester or named Jackson, right? And then, like, 200 <laughs> would listen after. But when you're in that moment, and you're 23 years old, and the head coach of the Browns is not only sitting in front of you, uh, doing it um, and, and pressuring you, but before you go on the air, telling you what you can and can't talk about, it's some holy shit stuff, right? And oh yeah, there was times I was intimidated. Now I would never be intimidated. I would not be intimidated of LeBron James. I would not be intimidated of peak Bobby Knight. I would not be intimidated of anybody. I've come a long way. But at the time, it was Thanks, wow. You know, there there was a time when Butch Davis threw an intermediate intermediary basically told me to write an article about how hard it was to trade in the NFL and why you didn't see trades. (laughs) (laughs) You know, Um, there were lots of times I was privy to stuff that it was like, holy shit, this level of incompetence is just unspeakably bad. Right. (laughs) Um, You know, some of that, some of that stuff is in the book. It it is. Um, Some of it is just stuff, as you mentioned, that you kind of put, in your memory bank for your career and you go about it. And it's not, and it's not just straight in this. And I think this is important for anyone young that's listening that wants to be in this business or that is already in this business. You know, it's not just um, what you do, what well, you mentioned it. Like we, we followed kind of unconventional paths. Well, anymore, what is convention? You know, like I grew up reading SI sure. right. and reading newspapers. And even when I went to college, the path was still, you get out, and you either become the low man at a big newspaper and cover high school football and high school golf, or you become the medium to big man at a tiny newspaper and work your way up. Well, I never worked for a newspaper full time. It started a change right at that time. I mean, I'm very fortunate and, and blessed and thankful to the people at the Browns. Clevelandbrowns.com was a year old in 2000 when I got started. Nobody knew about it, right? We gave away T-shirts and rented billboards trying to make people come to Clevelandbrowns.com. 
Now the Browns, like every other team in all the pro sports, have this huge social media monster that they feed all the time, right? Where we were a website that tried right. to have something more than the team roster on it, you know? Um, there's all sorts right. of rules and regulations and standards. And I'm sensitive to that stuff. Um, and I think people who have listened and read know that, you know, I, because I've seen it on both sides. But um, it was it, it's really cool. And like I said, I, I, I don't think that I'm getting too deep on anything when I say, like, this is my life's work. You know, it's not some masterpiece. It's not um, some incredible tell-all, like I said. But if you care about the Browns, I feel like I've lived it. And here's what I saw by the damn book. Yes. <laughs> Out of the book. Um, how much do you get into the quarterbacks? I was laughing the other day. I was listening to you know me. I'm a, a Mac. You know I I, uh, I put myself through the ringer, and I heard someone. Oh, I was listening to my man Ricky Smith on his new podcast, Random Acts of Podcasting, and they were talking to some guy, and they had a guy on, and they were saying he was like, "Well, I'm from Tennessee, but I became a Browns fan." He goes, "Ah, my gosh." And he called Kelly Holcomb, Corey Holcomb. And I about drove off the side of the road and spit my coffee out. <laughs> because I became, he was like, I became a fan when Corey Holcomb became a quarterback. And to me, that made me, like, I was just like, yeah, that's a true Browns man, Corey Holcomb. <laughs> and they talked about his haircut. And they talked about his haircut. And, like, and for me, I, I and, like, and, and I guess to take, you know, to pull the curtain back a little bit, Kelly Holcomb was a, was a, that whole situation was weird for me. And I don't even know what you wrote about the Tim Couch Holcomb situation, but it, it played out so much. Whatever year that was, Zach, that situation played out really for the rest of my career covering the Browns. Uh, you know, like I sure. found out, like I always grew up and always and I always heard about the backup quarterback being the most popular player. You, you know, when you're a kid, I, I, I mean, let's be honest, we grew up with Bernie Kosar being the man. Right. Um, I didn't understand at my age, now at the age I am now, I understand the dynamic of what Gary Danielson did for him. Uh, Lenny Infante was the offensive coordinator. Just, this is just how we were raised. And then we lose our team, and it was a weird – and I'm speaking for myself. We lost the team the year I graduated from high school, and, and I was off to college. So, to be fair for me, and I know you're a couple a year or two behind me, it was almost the perfect time in my lifetime to lose the Browns, if that makes sense. Because when you go off to college you're, and you're 18 and you're, you're finally away from your parents – even though I was afraid to go real far, I just went to Kent State. I wasn't like you that was willing to go all the way to OU and, and kill myself. <laughs> I still got away enough that, you know, Sunday, that Sundays were kind of, they were, you know, Sundays were a little odd. I had a roommate from Pittsburgh, so he helped me get over uh, the Browns not being there. It was kind of cool being in a dorm with people from all different places uh, watching Sunday football. Uh, and so in 99, I'm going into my junior year, my sophomore and a half year, because it took me a little bit longer after I graduated in 96. <laughs> but... but <laughs> this is all the truth. And and so when the Browns came back in 99, there was an excitement for me. But, dude, I was hitting 21, 20. You know, I was hitting that age of kind of like you're growing up and, and there were more things important to me than the Browns. And I've been thinking about this as I knew you wrote this book because I think – and I'm admitting this out loud. I've never really said this out loud. I think the Browns left in my personal life, Zach, at the perfect time because it did, didn't – crush me the way it would have crushed me if I was 16 years old or the way it would have crushed me when I was 25 years old, if that makes sense. So when I did get back into it, and that's the reason I want to tell the story the way I am, the Tim Couch thing was, you know, he was drafted in 99. It was easy for me to be excited for the Tim Couch thing. It was exciting. It was easy for me to be excited for Courtney Brown because I watched Kentucky every Saturday in college. I watched Penn State every week in college. And then, like you, 
not that long after that, you know, a couple of years, 24, 25, I'm coming to Berea every day and I'm covering the Browns. <laughs> and, and I went from, and, and I know you and I are in the same boat with this. We went from like total, you know, our, all our friends were tailgating, partying, going to the games. Everybody thinks we have the best jobs. And suddenly I know Tim Couch way differently than just reading about him in, pro, in, in Sports Illustrated and reading about him in The Plain Dealer, reading about him in The Beacon Journal. I know Tim Couch. I know Kelly Holcomb. And I was doing radio with Kelly Holcomb the year before he blew up. Uh, the year before, he, you know, Tim got hurt. And, and, and I remember thinking, man, Kelly Holcomb's going to be a great – and it's funny to say this. And I know you'll have a ton to add on to this. I remember thinking, man, Kelly Holcomb's going to be a great coach or he's going to be great on, on radio when he's done being the backup quarterback. And lo and behold, Zach, I swear, three weeks later, he was the quarterback. And, like, three months later, he had his own mustard. <laughs> like, like, and like six months later, he was the quarterback of the Cleveland Browns. <laughs> like, and then, and then I'll never forget being like, "Man, I'm happy for Kelly." And I remember walking in and seeing Tim, and because we were around and we saw the hell, we saw him get the hell beat out of him. We were there at practice when they came in, and he hurt his thumb because the linebacker got too close. I knew Tim Couch in a way that Tim, because we were all like the same age too. Yeah. <laughs> like, Right. And you and I could look at Tim's face, and I remember just going, "Man, this sucks, man." Like it was the first time for me. I guess what I'm getting at, and it's way easier for me now. It was the first time I had some humility towards the athletes we were covering. I guess. So I'm curious to see how you write about that situation because it was a different time for both of us. Well, I would say completely selfishly that the Browns moved at the right time for me because then they came back in '99 and I got hired in 2000 to write for the website, right where everything <laughs> probably would have been a little right. bit a little bit before that <laughs> if it wouldn't but yeah I, I remember like I, I remember as a teenager 15 16 years old thinking no way would the Browns ever move right the Browns were such a fabric of Northeast okay. Ohio and I lived in, in Akron my entire life right um, and it just being weird but it's a weird time in your life and, and then to not you know you don't really process it um, so yeah so right as far as the writing process in regard to that Dre um, what I did, uh, I just saw your text. So I started laughing and lost my train of thought. So <laughs> when, when this was presented to we'll me, see him, talked, we'll see him. yeah. Um, when, when we, when this was presented to me and we talked and I said, okay, we're going to go forward with it. You know, here, here's the deadlines. Here's how we're going to handle this. First thing I had to do was turn in two sample chapters. So I of course okay. went to Joe Thomas and Phil Dawson because those are, happy-go-lucky chapters, right? Um, those are mm -hmm. positives, mm -hmm. you know, and obviously guys that I know well uh, on and off the field. So I turned those in. Right, great. So really, once those were in, um, I had to do periodic updates, but I didn't have to send anything else in for a long time. Um, you know, they didn't want like 10 chapters at a time or eight chapters at a time. It was just, okay, you know, by a certain date, give the outline of what the hundred chapters are going to be, and then turn them all in by, by this certain date. Right. So I would right. be on planes or in hotel rooms or whatever. And I would just go through and make myself notes on my, either an empty email on my laptop or the notes app on my phone. Okay. Well, obviously this guy's a story. Obviously this era is a story, obviously here. And so then it was like, okay, well, out of the 12 I just put down today and started three paragraphs on, those are all really fucking depressing stories. So let's go find some happy ones. And then because <laughs> I was in the building for so long, 
I had intimate knowledge of things like not just Josh Cribbs being an amazing story, but exactly how the scouting process with him went. Right. Um, not right. just Joe Thomas's streak, but things that happened along the way to get, getting that there from him, getting the call on the fishing boat with his father to the day they tried to take him out of the game. And he told Vincent Painter to go fuck yourself. I'm not leaving the game. Right. All of that stuff. So <laughs> I started bringing that together. Um, frankly, there was a time when I thought I could get to 100 um, stories based upon just ridiculous things Butch Davis said and did, which is what I thought about with Kelly Holcomb. You know how he used to tell Kelly and Tim individually that they were right. both the guy going forward, and then it ended up being neither of yeah. them, of <laughs> course. Right. <laughs> right. So I didn't quite get to 100 with that, but um, probably what I'm – I would say this. You know, once those two stories were there, and then once I decided the first chapter would start with the 2002 playoff game because everybody thought they were back, and 17 years later they're not back, yep. the next thing yep. was the quarterbacks. Right. And so it was pretty much, okay, 30 quarterbacks in 20 years, that's the story of this franchise. So which of these 30 get their individual chapters? Um, and, and at one point it pretty much says, I don't have it in front of me right now, but it, it pretty much says the old Browns had Otto Graham, Brian Sipe and Bernie Kozar and the new Browns have had Cody Kessler and Bruce Gradkowski and the brothers McCown. Oh, right? so like, right. That's the story. Now that's, that's four paragraphs. That's not a hundred chapters of a book. Um, but that's the story. So with those things in mind is how I kind of laid the foundation and went forward. You literally could have written this whole book about just the quarterbacks from 99. So today, no, no question. Like you really could. No question about it. You really could go. And that's why I went there because, I mean, every, and I'm just going off the couch thing. Cause I can remember like yesterday, Butch Davis telling us that Tim Couch had a teeny weeny <laughs> fracture. Remember, like, it was like when it happened, teeny it was like, oh, he's tiny. got a teeny, <laughs> teeny tiny. And like, and here's the deal. And I, and, I, and this is, this is for, for overall, as we're dealing with Hollywood Higgins, you know, and why he didn't play last week or why, you know, he practiced and didn't, and then the coach calls him sore. I want fans to understand, especially those that like tweeting at us on Sundays. That's why I don't even tweet on Sundays anymore, to be honest, because you guys just ain't worth it. And it's a lot more fun yelling at my, my dad, my kids, and my friend, my friends, and just texting the hell out of Zach, knowing I'm annoying the shit out of Zach. <laughs> it's a lot more like, like, I literally, like a lot of my tweets have just gone to, like, I just talk to my friends. It's amazing. What social, social media used to be great. And I'll just, I just socially talk to the people that I actually like. But, I love, and I get this during Indian season too. You guys just believe anything Tito says. Well, what as a reporter, what are we supposed to believe? Like, like what are we supposed to tell you? What are we supposed like? You know, how many times we look at a guy, we're like, he ain't playing for three weeks. But if the coach goes, well, it's close, you know, or it's, you know, he's just sore, he's just, he, you know, he's going to be out of it. Or if the player tells me, hell, I get it all the time. I had I had a player that will remain nameless this year that hurt his hamstring. He goes, Dre, I've never had one of these, man. He goes, but I feel all right. I think I'm not going to be too bad. And when my fat 40-year-old, and he's like, no, nah, man. He goes, I think I'm going to be all right. I'm going to be good. So like a dummy, the next day I go in there and say, hey, blah, blah, blah. Head pulled his hamstring. Never had one. He thinks it's mild. He thinks he'll be back in a week, a week and a half. Now, I just said, stupid me falling for what he said. But I'm telling you what the player and the coach told me. Now, lo and behold, that player didn't play for a month like I thought when he originally told me he had a hamstring. But as a reporter, what are we – like, how many times have you had people attack you? We're like, well, why'd you say this guy was going to practice? Because well, that's what we're told. And I always go back to the book, and, and I'll give Tom Withers credit for this. Tom Withers of the AP 
used to sit right in front of me um, in Berea, um, in my years covering the Browns. And after, and it wasn't the, it wasn't Butch Davis. It was probably Romeo Cornell, but we had another, it was another injury. And Tom Withers said this, and this is very Tom Withers like, so I hope Tom hears this because I'll give him credit. But he said to me, I've learned when I come to Berea to always go from the worst possible thing ever and work my way back when it comes to injuries. And at first I thought that was the most negative thing I'd ever heard, Zach. (laughs) <laughs> I was like, man, this dude is freaking oh, it, 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 I was like, That's It's pretty so negative. true, and, and here's how it fits my book. Like, Obviously, they knew that I knew the Browns and I could do this, which is why they approached me, right? But even I like, was like, okay, how, right. you know, what, what do you want? And I would ask them, like, how do I balance old Browns versus new Browns? How do I balance not telling the same story over and over again? And so they sent me some other books in the series, like Lions, Eagles, Raiders, right? And like – Obviously, those teams, with with few exceptions, maybe not the Lions, but they have Hall of Famers. They have championships. They have seasons. Well, the Browns have staff infections, right? (laughs) And, like, uh, a different (laughs) coordinator and coach every year, right? So that was kind of the balance of, you know, what's really outrageous. And at the end, to me, it was like – because I did – I think it was Bull and Fox last week, and Bull said, what – what is the chapter that yeah. you're most proud of or, or, or is your favorite? And I said, I'm going to totally take the easy way out here. I, I can't give you one. But, like, to think that they would have 30 quarterbacks right. and two of them would be brothers, right? To think that the Mangini Cruiser yeah. A yeah. actually would have happened and B become such a big deal, like, that sums up the shit show that it was at the time, right? Like, the whole thing right. with Ben Gay. Right. He was, like, the most talented player in the league and he was such a f- – uh, or on the team uh, and was such a flash in the pan. You know, yeah. and, and how that kind of summed up the whole Bush yeah. Davis experience, right? Uh, it was here and gone so so quickly. Right, right. So it was a, able to get all those things in there. So well, I, I feel like there was a good mix of – I'll admit, like, it, at right, the end – is... What's that? I was going to say, this book is nothing if you don't have a chapter called All Berea. <laughs> <laughs> but at the end, it was like, okay, what, what am I going to – you know – how am I going to get this in here or what can I take from not being its own chapter to getting somewhere else? But like, there were several times I was like, okay, this is rather ridiculous. And uh, you know, the Peyton Hillis era, right? Like <laughs> there's just little things. Um, Gerard Warren, obviously um, big, big money, big dummy, whatever yeah. you want to call him. Like I was around for that whole time. So I didn't write the Cavassier pissing on the tarmac story that I've told on the podcast each Christmas in the book. I was just going to ask did you, put, I was just going to ask did you put that in. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I told some other ones about uh, uh, the, my the time Jeff Shudell asked him, um, you know, what happens if the Browns cut him? And he says that there's 31 other teams. And he says, well, and Jeff says, well, what, what if, uh, it doesn't work out with those 31 other teams. And Gerard says, we go back to Florida and hang out. <laughs> to, to this day. You know, another like, chapter you did it. Like earlier today, my friend texted me, what are you doing? And I, and I just, my response was go back to Florida and hang out. He said, what? I said, I don't know. Call me a four. <laughs> yeah. Go back to Florida and hang out. Um, you could do a whole chapter. You know what? You could have did a whole book on what happened. To, you know how Sports Illustrated always did the, you know, where are they now? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, 25 years later or whatever, 20, 50. You could do that on the Browns' first-round picks in the, in the, in from, from the first 10 years of the franchise being oh. back. And it would be fascinating. No doubt. It would be fascinating to catch up with Gerard Warren and guys like that. Yeah, I mean, 
no doubt. So, yeah, so it was a lot of yeah, I mean, well, off the top of my head. Um, you know, and basically what you do is you get done and you're completely exhausted mentally and physically, and then you worry. And so people have been like, well, what's the emotions? And I'm like, well, sure, there's excitement, but you just pray like crazy that there's only two or three errors, right? That you didn't fuck up anything royally, that you didn't right, you know, right. leave anything out and whatever. So, um, and, and also, right. I follow this. Like, we're doing this podcast, and I'm doing my part to promote the book. I feel like I've been on every podcast in the Midwest this week, and that's all good. And I promise, like, I'm going to tweet it out between now and Tuesday, um, the official release, and then, you know, Black Friday, Cyber Monday. I promise I'm not going to suffocate you guys with it. I promise I'm not. So, uh, But please, just buy it anyway. Well, let, me, let me ask you a question, though. What's the, yeah, please buy the book. I actually promoted on TV the other day, and some jackass, wanted to be a jackass about it, but whatever. Um have you learned anything podcasting wise from going around? Like, what have you learned? Like outside of the book, what have you learned about selling oneself? Because I don't think it's as easy as people think. No, it's a challenge. Um, you know, that's for sure. So, um, you know, I don't know. I, I wouldn't say I've learned anything in that regard, Drake, cause I'm, I'm used to doing it. I guess it's just the subject matter is a little different, you know? Um, I will say this from the club Kevin Klepp's article, right. can't repository is going to have an article this week. It really is weird for me to be the person getting quoted instead of the other way around, especially how I sometimes fly off the handle and how, like on this podcast or um, whatever, I, I can be comfortable saying right. some of the things I say that maybe don't fly in print on family publications or on someone's uh, actual radio station, right? So, so that's a little different. But, um, you know, I, I think this, it, I, when you're in this business, especially the way it is now and the way it's been for five-plus years – you're always selling yourself to an extent. This is just an actual product that I hope people buy, whether no it's on Kindle or not. You're always selling yourself. Uh, I've worked for a subscription website for two and a half years now, you know, um, growing a True. following with my writing in this podcast for years now, right? So it's not a whole lot different in that regard. I mean, each situation is different, but that, that whole concept is not a whole lot different. Do you think when this book finally comes out, and certain people read it. I have a feeling you're going to get people that will draw back. Like, cause we, it's easy. Cause we, I've, I haven't mentioned half the names when we said we were going to do this, that I was going to bring up to you. Um, because we did meet some really for as, for as dire as the situation was at times. And I'm speaking for myself. I met some of the cool. And, and I'm glad you started this podcast with this book is basically Zach Jackson breaking down his twenties and us living the dream of dreams. <laughs> Uh, and I'll say I lived that dream with you. We lived the dream. We were covering our hometown team right. right out of college and not knowing what the hell we were doing, but knowing we were seeing some crazy shit. But we got to meet, and we got to be around some of the craziest and coolest people. It's like I have Tim Couch stories that have nothing to do with football. And the craziest thing, and I know you go through this, whether it be Tim Couch, whether it be Aaron Shea, whether it be whether it be I almost, I almost forgot the guy's name, uh, Mohamed Massaqua whether it be Brian Rubisky, um, I, I have all these names in my head because now in life you see them, like we've all been growing up together, right? Mm -hmm. Or when I see DeQuell Jackson when I'm in D.C. and he's trying to do TV and, and people are like, how do you guys know each other that well? And it's like, uh, we grew up together in, in Berea, Ohio, <laughs> back in from 2007 to 2011. We basically, you know, or Josh Cribbs, who is a part of our fabric, who I text with like I text with you, you know, for us going through all of those things to me, I feel like this book is going to come out. And in three months, 
you're going to laugh because all the guys like that, and I'm not even mentioning every name. I'm not mentioning the backup because, you know, in our job, who do we end up talking to more? The backup quarterback, the backup tight end, the backup center, the backup linebacker. You know, like Sean Jones, who was out of Georgia, real quiet, barely ever said three words between us when we were there. But now I can, I can hit him up on Twitter or hit him up on Instagram and we talk, or Lee Biden, and we go back and forth for like three hours. Or I, you know what I mean? Like, Lee I think you're going to have more guys like that. <laughs> Lee I, man, I love you. And you need to follow him on Instagram. We need to get him when we go back. We got we to gotta put a section together for about a month. We're going to sell the hell out of this book right around Christmas time. I'm going to come over, and you're going to come over and sit on my deck. And we're going to get Lehigh on. We're going to get Andre Davis on, whose daughter is this unbelievable basketball player right now. Uh, this is killing it down in Colorado. Um, there, my point is, we grew up with these guys. I'm fascinated to read this book. I'm fascinated because I think most people have no idea the depth of information uh, that you truly have. And I know most of it still can't be put in writing just yet. Um, but I think it'll give a – and I hope for these younger kids that are walking around with, with you know, the Baker uniforms and think that they're getting ready to – you know, take over the world. I think that the older fans know, right? The older fans know what the team has been through, but I hope the younger guys and the assholes on Twitter that think they're smarter than everybody else can give themselves, you know, a couple hours, you know, a couple minutes a day and read this book to find out why the Browns are the Browns. Because as I did a show just not that long ago, I keep going back to the Browns still don't have an identity in 2019. And a lot of the reasons why they don't have an identity and who they are and what they are as an organization goes back to the seeds that were laid but way back in 1999. Well, I would say this, since we're talking about my favorite subject of me. Like, I really pinched myself. Like, think about all the technology and all the change and how much different it is, even though you and I from teenagers knew we wanted to do something like this, right? And the fact that there's something called a podcast right, right. and you and I are sitting here talking and, and a lot of people are listening and, like, this is what we do, like, it's crazy. It's pinch yourself every single day, right? Like you would have signed up for that. Hell yeah. A hundred and one days out of 100, you know? And so like, that's why when this opportunity came, it's like, hell yes, I'm writing this, this book. You know, I don't know. I'm not going to haggle with them over a few more pennies. I don't know how many people will ultimately buy it or if it will be seen as the Brown's Bible or if more people will finally recognize that I know what the hell I'm talking about. Right? Like, it's just, I'm doing this because right. Think about the path that I'm on, that I've been on, and, and to have the chance to do this, like of course. And it was a, it was an incredible uh, mental challenge for me, um, just as because sitting still is, <laughs> in general, right? Fo- staying focused on things in, in general. Uh, even at 40 years old, I'm the ADD poster child, so it was cool. And <laughs> you know, I'm proud, and I was able to joke this week about going in the bar and seeing the, the sign above the urinal. <laughs> You know, and it's like this. This is cool, and like so many people that I know, but don't talk to, you know, for whatever reason, um, have reached out one way or another and been like, "We are definitely coming to your book party," you know, and that is that is really cool. And to right. just have been able to work in football the way I was raised with my football playing dad, and you know, in football crazed Manchester, and twenty minutes from football crazed Maslin. And, you know, thinking that the Acme Zip game was the biggest deal in the world and then to work in and around the NFL for 20 years and get a chance to write a book about it. Like, are you kidding me? So it's it's a really cool thing. Imagine that. Half your life you've been covering the NFL. Yeah, no shit. What the hell happened to us? 
<laughs> the Lehigh Bowden story is in the book, by the way. I, the Lehigh Bowden. It's, it's been funny, yes! Jared, because I haven't gone back and, and read the whole thing yet. You know, obviously, I kind of held it, you know, and I've, I've glanced at it. And my mom, who's my proofreader, and shout out to her, you know, she went back and read the whole thing again. And other people have told me this. So I, I kind of forget some things. Like I was doing a radio interview yesterday with Kenny Rhoda. By the way, he shouted you out like eight times. I was like, Kenny, this is my interview. I don't want to talk about Andre. Right? But he was like reading. Hey, boy. Um, Man, you, take, you take it how you get it. Well, Rhoda yeah. knows, though. I, I was Rhoda's. I was Rhoda's producer before, yeah. like when I was starting on over to Brown. Right. Well, so. he was reading like some of the chapters. It. Like the, some of the names and like maybe a right. sentence or two from them. And, and he, he was awesome in promoting it. But I was mm-hmm. like, holy shit, like, you know, it's just one of those things you kind of block out. So uh, I can't tell you everything that's right. in there, but I can tell you the Lehigh Bowden story is is in there. That is awesome because Lehigh Bowden, and we call him the wrong name, and you got to read the book to find out why. <laughs> he exemplified the Brown. He exemplified, like, on a, on a, real, on a real franchise, Lee Bowden would have been made into a star of stars. He would have never left. He was the perfect story that you wanted Zach Jackson at ClevelandBrowns.com to be writing about, especially when he was going against the receivers. And I won't tell the story all the way, especially how he was playing against the best receivers in football at the time. And somehow we let him slip through the cracks because the Browns had no identity at the time. And they had, and because coaches changed so much, general managers changed so much. That's why you can't keep certain guys. All right. I got to ask this before we go. One of the best football moments and I've had a lot of them, but from our job, I'll never forget the Browns now. And I think for the most part, they still do the this, this scrimmage at the stadium where, and it's a really cool thing because people that can't afford it or with kids or whatever, you bring a canned good or whatever, five bucks, you get into the stadium, you get to watch the scrimmage kind of the week before. And they've gone to Ohio state because the Haslam's won all your money and don't care about the, the pride of it. That's my, <laughs> my point. You can blame me if you get in trouble for that. Um, but the one year, the stadium wasn't ready for whatever reason. And I don't know if this story is in the book, but they did the scrimmage out in Berea where they do training camp. And this tells you how, and this doesn't, you know what? And I've, I've learned this with the Indians and different teams. Um, the personalities of certain people, just because you're a general manager, just because you're the president, or just because you're the owner, um, everyone's not the same. I've been around some great people that have these great titles that still treat you like a human being. Um, Phil Savage was one of those people that no matter what his title was, you guys can say what you want about him and we can make jokes about his text messaging and things of that nature. Despite his role and despite what he did, he was always a genuine person to me. And I know he was to Zach. And the one year they had the scrimmage at out in Berea and I was behind the goalpost while I was actually watching football, uh, not talking to the other people uh, in the media and he walked up. We just happened to be beside each other. And for 35 minutes, we watched his team that he had put together, all 90 guys going at it. And for 20 minutes, 30 minutes, he talked to me like a football fan, uh, you know, just in explaining, you know, what to watch, what guys to watch, how to, how do you figure out if a linebacker can play with, without them actually tackling and bringing guys to the, you know, to the field, or how do you find out if a, if a, a DB is as good as you think that he is. And he's telling me, watch his hips, watch his legs, watch his feet. And it goes back to, to Lee. I can't even say his name right now because I got Lehigh Bob in my head. <laughs> but, but Lee was one of the guys we were talking about. And at the time, Zach, he wasn't a starter. He was just kind of like a special teams guy. We'll see, guy from Duquesne. You know the story. 
And and Phil, without saying, he was raving about him, but without saying, this guy's going to make the team. This, type, this is the type of guy that we need. But he kind of said, he goes, these are the kind of guys that we need to become football players. And he explained to me why as the scrimmage was going on. He was like, we need versatility. We need good athletes, great athletes with quick, quick, you know, but like he gave me some of the jargon. But I remember walking away and being like, man, that was enlightening. I've learned a ton about how a general manager goes about making his 53-man roster. Now, I couldn't use 80% of it on the air, but it gave me an understanding of what he was looking for. I mention this because I think personally, and I don't know what's in the book, I'll say that again, but you've got one of some of the greatest Phil Savage stories of all time. I don't know what's going to make it or not make it, but if I see Phil Savage's name in there, I know I'm going to run to that chapter because I know some of the stories you have with how he helped you see football as well. Well, when you think about this, and I told you my life as a football nerd, and going back when we play American Fireworks Glory Days here on this podcast, like, of course, when I was young, I thought I was going to play point guard for the Lakers like everybody else did. But I was still young when I realized that shit wasn't going to happen for me, right? So to have had the opportunity mm-hmm. to go on and be the sports nerd that I was and then Phil to let me sit in the draft room, that was like the pinnacle, right? That's right. like getting the gold jacket right. for the Manchester Youth Football Hall of Fame, right? <laughs> like, that. That that's it. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so... So yeah, and I'll tell I'll tell this story because <laughs> it's the <laughs> the statute of limitations is way up. So Phil, um, <laughs> I didn't work you know I didn't work in football, but Phil treated me like I did. And and first of all, he is the first person right. that treated me like a human to start with. So that's that matters yeah. more than anything. But like he would have speaking gigs, no doubt. scouting gigs, and he would let me tag along. Like sometimes he, I would drive him, or sometimes he would right. just let me tag along, right, and, and teach me things. So he had a speaking engagement in Maslin on a Tuesday afternoon. They have something called the uh, Touchdown Club. It's not to be confused with the Booster Club, these, these beautiful, beautiful mm-hmm. wackos down in Maslin. And they reach out to the Browns general manager, right. and the Browns general manager says yes. So he goes down there, and he gives this amazing presentation about how he's, you know, he was second in charge of a team that won the Super Bowl and that he's leaving in three days to go to Fresno State, UCLA, and Oregon. But he will never forget and runs down all of these things, how football originated, modern football originated with Paul Brown and how Paul Brown, you know, really took off in Maslin, Ohio. And these people were like in tears, right? So then they took us around. Mm-hmm. It gave us the tour of, of everything. And then we had to go back to Berea because, you know, this was a Tuesday during the season. He had to work. And so we're driving back. And I think it was – what year did they open against the Saints, 05 or 06, when the touchdown got called back right away? 06 oh, was Reggie Bush, right? Five. Six. Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yes, yes. Yeah, so he's telling me first about how, you know, Ralph Brown got burnt and how he's he thinks Ralph Brown is the worst player in the Ralph league. But Brown. he has to let the defensive coaches right. have their guys and they choose Ralph Brown. And he, another thing he said to me on that drive that I'll never forget, he goes, you know, Zach, he goes, obviously I have opinions like you have opinions like everybody else in the media and every fan at home has opinions. He goes, so when it comes to game plan, I, I know I'm only going to get one or two bits of input, and that's that. And he goes, so on Thursday or Friday we're talking about who's healthy mm. and who's going to be active mm. and where we might need to work out guys the next week. And I look at them and I say, the one thing we don't want to have, guys, is Reggie Bush. In his first game with the whole world watching, we are not going to punt the ball to Reggie Bush. He goes, so we come out, we throw the touchdown, it gets called back, 
He goes, and we punt three plays later, and what do I see? Reggie Bush standing on the 50-yard line, and we're kicking right to him. <laughs> and I will never forget that. As long as <laughs> well, that right there, that story, and that's a great story, and it's so true. Yeah, That story tells a lot about what a lot of you guys, and I know, and I'm speaking directly to a couple people on Twitter, that story tells you a lot about how teams really are run. And I hear people go off about Lapito does this with the roster. No, it's a lot of times a tug of war between the general manager and a head coach or a general manager and a manager. It's not as cut and dry. It's not how your fantasy team – it's not like Zach and I. When we text each other Saturday night, and who should we – you tell me, you give me three names, and I give you two, and you say this guy sucks, and I say okay, and I'll give them. It's not that easy. Ego plays into it. He, like the coaches always want their guys. The general manager, the, the guys in the front office always want their guys. And the teams that win either have Bill Belichick and don't listen to anybody else, or they find a common ground to find yeah. winners. And the Browns have had the coaches so have their guys most of the time. Finding right? common ground. Yeah, I mean, right, like, right. As we've we seen, there's no there's reward somebody, for having the for collecting the best 53 players. Right, you got to make them work together. You got to make it work right, right. That's out there. Right. So. That is a great way of putting it. You may have the 53 best. And look, the current Browns are going through this. Mm-hmm. They have the 50, They have probably the 40 most talented guys in, on the team at once that they've had since they've come back. No doubt. But they still have no idea how to make it all work just yet. Yeah, no doubt. Hey, so um, – They're super talented. We've gone, no doubt we've gone longer than we wanted to. This is one big episode of American Fireworks Glory Day, so thanks for listening. So, listen, um, if I got some signings coming up, and I'm going to go in reverse order. Uh I'm going to be in Youngstown at some point in November. I'm doing the Barberton Library in November. Uh, we're working on something up Mentor Way and down Columbus Way. Some more details on that. Next Wednesday, I believe it's the 23rd. Shout out to Craig, who's like uh, Craig Lindell, who's like my second dad. He has put together um, an event out in Chagrin Falls. There's a bookstore out there called Fireside, I believe. Um, the store is not big enough for the event, so we're going to be adjacent to it at the community center. Um, there is a capacity on how many can be there, so look up WFNY Craig if you're if you're an East Sider and you're interested in coming to that. And then the the book release party because Tuesday's the official day um, is in my neighborhood at my neighborhood bar Dano's Lakeside Pub in Akron. So we'd love to have you come out. Um, you know, don't feel obligated, but it's going to be a party. I'll be there. Going to be there. A lot of people are going to be there. And just let me tell you this: when I say it's a neighborhood bar, it's in a neighborhood. So trust your GPS. It's a neighborhood park. It's in a neighborhood. And also, yeah. if you get there and all the parking lot spots are taken, and I don't know whether this is going to happen, um, there are a bunch of side streets. It is in the neighborhood. There are a couple no parking areas. Um, and please don't make the cops come out uh, because if they realize that there's an African-American man in there, there might be problems. Don't worry. Don't, don't, I was going to say, don't worry. They'll be out. My black ass will be there anyway. <laughs> Put it this way. My, I have family that lives around there. One one of my uncles has already called from my wife's side as we were doing this podcast because I had my father-in-law over yesterday at my house and my mother-in-law were over. And my wife goes, why is Andre making me go to Dano's or why why are we going to Dano's on on Monday? And and my wife, who knows that area well, was trying to get the breakdown, Zach, you'll love this, of how Dano's that we're going to on Monday for the greatest book signing of all time. How it became Dano's because so many different places have changed names and burnt down in different neighborhoods. And I had to have her dad, who is a week and a half out of having hip surgery, break down the history of Portage Lakes Bar. This is going to be the greatest Monday of all time. Show up, show out, bring. <laughs> uh, 
Uber works there. Ryan Isley, keep your phone on, baby, because we may need you that night because it's going to be fun. Um, but in all honesty, I'm proud of you. I'm happy for you. Um, I know this won't be the last book. I know your first book was way back when you were 16, 17, and you didn't really didn't know shit. Um, and I think this, it'll be a good spinoff from this because I can't wait to call Joe Thomas and others and go, do you see what this asshole wrote about you? <laughs> <laughs> so um, it's Phil Dawson, too. I'm sure I can't. Uh, Phil Dawson. Yeah, if you're still with us, God bless you. Um, the book Facebook page is facebook.com slash 100 Things Browns um, that has all the links to buy it online and all the links to all the signings. And then it's Dano's Lakeside Pub, D-A-N-O apostrophe S, just to Google it. It's on Coleman Drive in Akron. And like I said, it is tucked back in a neighborhood. So if you're not familiar with the neighborhood, um, yeah, like I said, just, just drive slowly and, and follow the road because you're going to think you're going nowhere. And then, boom, all of a sudden, it's there. And uh, I think it's going to be oh, you're going nowhere on Monday night. Hey, uh, hey are they going to be doing trivia Monday night, too? No, that's Tuesday night. <laughs> Tuesday night so, yeah. <laughs> I knew you would know that. Oh, we go almost every Tuesday. That's where I, that's where uh, I took the picture of the, uh, right. the sign above the urinal when I knew I made it in life. <laughs> that's hilarious. That is too funny. Ah, uh, this is going to be great. This will be a good time. Yeah. Can't wait to write to read the book. Hopefully, I didn't fuck it up with my questions. <laughs> no, it was good. I'm glad. Like I said, uh, doing all this self promotion. I mean, why, why not do it this way and get it out there? So uh, glad you could play along. No doubt. No doubt at all. Oh, all right. Hey, you know me, man. I was perfect. Now I got to go play. <laughs> all right. Thanks to you wait, guys you for write sticking my book. with us through all our shit. Uh, buy the book. Buy two. Come out on Monday. Come out next Wednesday to Chagrin Falls. Um, and Kenichiwa. Hope you can read. Kanichiwa to Zach living in his mom's basement. Let's buy enough books so he can move out of his mom's basement, everybody. <laughs> On that note, we're out. See ya. <laughs>